You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously. It doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Hold on one second. I just have to get the security guy to let me back into the studio. I left my uh, pass inside. Can I be let back into the studio, please? Thank Don't you do very it. He looks dodgy. My friend on the phone says you shouldn't do it because I look dodgy. Shifty. <laughs> Shifty. Yeah. Uh, she, she says she has cameras on me, so it's not like a... <laughs> Thank you very much. Much appreciated. The Winnipeg Jets are eliminated. The Vegas Golden Knights move on. And now the questions begin. Welcome to 32 Thoughts, the podcast presented by GMC and the Canyon AT4X. Merrick Delich and Friedman once again along with you. It is another CarCast edition of your favorite hockey podcast. Okay, so Winnipeg gets eliminated by the Vegas Golden Knights. 4-1 to one is the final. The Vegas Golden Knights will be the first team to advance to the second round of the Stanley Cup Vegas wins in five games. We It was an interesting game. Uh, Chandler Stevenson with a pair. He was outstanding. Mark Stone was great the entire series. He was great in game five as well. We had a hand-passed missed stoppage challenge uh, on a face-off involving Blake Wheeler. We had Connor Hallibuck pulled at 818. Every time the camera cut back to Rick Bonus, you could see him frantically trying to get something done and try to, you know, will his team uh, into winning this game and stave off elimination. And before we get to the players and before we get to the Vegas Golden Knights, I think the big story are the comments by Rick Bonus after the game. This is going to be short and sweet, so let's get at it. He did not mince words about how there was, quote, no pushback. No questions, good. The same crap we saw back in February. Hi, Rick. Just uh, overall thoughts on that one. What do you think? Overall thoughts? I'm so disappointed and disgusted right now. That's my thoughts. Where does the disgust come from? Pardon me? Where does the disgust come from? No pushback. But it's the same crap we saw in February. It was. That's why we... So as soon as we were challenging for first place and teams were coming after us, we had no pushback. This series, we had no pushback. Their better players were so much better than ours. It's not even close. It was like you've been holding these feelings on for a bit. Is it just yep. out of tonight's game or finally wanted to release that? It's, it started with, back in January and February. What is it about this team's leadership core that, or the top-end players? We've talked all we got to push back. There's got to be a pushback. There's got to be pride. you got to be able to push back when things aren't going your way. We had no pushback. Their better players were so much better than ours tonight. They deserved to win. They were the better team in the regular season. They were the better team in this series. Anything else? Good. Thanks. Like, just imagine, Jeff, Rick Bonus talks for a minute, unloads like that, 
and you have to get back on a flight together to go to Winnipeg. What is that flight? Four hours? Like, could you imagine what that's going to be like after that outburst? Like, that's what I think about. Like, there have been times where I know, like, I've been out with Steph and I've said something that really upsets her. And when we're driving home, it's the longest drive ever. So I know that I'm going to get home and I'm going to hear it. At least this time it got said beforehand, but that's going to be an uncomfortable flight back to Manitoba. Every player on that team is going to know what bonus said, and he's not going to care. He's going to want every player on that team to know what he had to say. But the other thing that really pops into my head, Jeff, is that if there was any question that it meant the end of this particular core, I think that eliminates it. I think that ends the question, if there was any doubt. Mm -hmm. And I thought the Jets played really hard in game three after losing Morrissey. I thought they played really hard in game four after losing Shifley. But the moment, as you said, the Golden Knights scored in the first minute of this one, they didn't have it. And an old school guy like Bonus, he won't tolerate that. Like I, I use the phrase disheartened on television, mm-hmm. but a guy like Bonus is going to sit there and say, you're in the playoffs. Even if you're going to lose, go down hard. Go down with the other team saying, even if we beat them in five games, I'm glad we don't have to see those guys anymore. They took a piece out of us. That's not happening after this series. That was a beatdown. But we talked about it, and everyone's going to talk about the same thing with the Jets here, Jeff, is what's going to happen. You know, Wheeler's got one more year. Dubois got one more year. Shifley's got one more year. The big one for me is Hallobach. I think that's the biggest decision that the Jets have to make. And to be honest, it's not just their decision. It's Hellebuck's decision too. But if they want to keep him, they know that they're going to have to make him among the highest paid goalies in the league. He's going to have to be right up there. Now, he didn't have a great playoff. Brassois outdueled him. But they don't get to the playoffs without him. Like, he got them there. and willed them there. He had a great year. He had a great season. Yes. But what Hellebuck, I think, is going to say here is, okay, are we trying to win or are we rebuilding or retooling? And if the answer is yes, we're doing that, what's the timeline here? Because if the answer is we're going to rebuild a bit, and to me, I'm always willing to listen, but I'm curious about how the Jets would feel they could contend immediately if they are changing all of these players. If it is a rebuild, I'm not sure Hellebuck's going to want any part of that. Yeah. So that, to me, is the number one decision that they have to make is where they are with Hellebuck and what the future is there. And I think every other decision flows from that one. And I think every other decision is secondary from that one. Well, then let's maybe talk about a couple of those secondary decisions as well because there's Shifley and Wheeler, as you mentioned. There's Pierre-Luc Dubois 
Now, Shafley and Wheeler are unrestricted free agents after next season, much like Connor Hallebuck. Pierre-Luc Dubois, a restricted, albeit with arbitration rights, and we can all see where that one is heading. Yeah, Pierre-Luc Dubois, to me, is fascinating, Elliot. You know, I, I look at, you know, you know the obvious target, which is, you know, the Montreal Canadiens. Yeah. Uh, although I'm led to believe I, I, that there are other teams that Pierre-Luc Dubois would also be interested in going to, but we can all recall what happened around the draft and the comments and, you know, the indication that that is the uh, the destination of choice for Pierre-Luc Dubois. And I, I look at Montreal and I say to myself, well, they've got two first-round draft picks this season. They have a whole bunch of young defensemen. If the Winnipeg Jets are indeed going to go the rebuild route, that would really move things along quickly here, Elliot. It sure would, and... um like Dubois had a very frustrating finish to the year. I mean, he was one of the Jets' best players who was still on the roster, and he had a very uneven playoff, to say the least. And he wasn't the only one. A few of those guys did. I think the other thing, too, Jeff, is I think there are teams that would consider acquiring Dubois for a year if they thought a center might get them over the top next year. Hmm. Now, I was told last year that there was a team that was interested in, in acquiring Dubois for two years. They said, even if he wants to go to Montreal, we'll take him for two years because we think we're close and we'll do it. Now, it never happened, but I wouldn't be surprised if there were teams thinking like that. Could it affect what the Jets get for him? Yes, but their leverage in this situation isn't necessarily great to begin with. Like, you know, I've had people say to me, it's simple. You trade Dubois for, to Montreal and you ask for Doc. I think if it was that simple, it would be done already. So I don't think it's that simple. But once you get to this point, the leverage flips to the player. And I think unless these players are willing to go somewhere where they're going to sign, I think you try to make the best deals you can. And I think that's what Winnipeg is going to do here. The one situation that's a little different is Wheeler. You know, he's a little older. He's got a year left. I think the Jets and Wheeler looked into it last year. I just wonder if it's going to be at all easier with one year to go as opposed to two for everyone to find another spot here if that's what everybody wants. You know, I think there are some teams I think we wonder about, you know, what's going to happen with Sean Couturier, for example, with the Philadelphia Flyers. What's going to happen with Patrice Bergeron, David Krejci with the Boston Bruins. This could be a uh, a really intriguing summer for those teams and potentially these players with the Winnipeg Jets. I thought Wheeler played pretty hard too, Jeff. And he did, and, and doesn't he fit the mold of those two teams that I just mentioned as well? You know, I'll be honest with you, Elliot. You know, we're talking about all these players. I can't stop thinking about what Rick Bonus said and how he talked about his players. You know, normally at the end of a season, a coach will try to, you know, at least shield some players, say, hey, you know, uh, we, these guys played hard, we gave it our best, uh, the other team was a better team, and we had injuries, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'll be honest with you. Listening to what Rick Bonus had to say after the game, to me, sets up one of these, it's either these guys go or I go. And I know it's emotional. It's right away. And maybe he'll you know, clarify this all uh, on, on Friday morning. And what I was trying to say is X, Y, Z. But there's something that's just different about this one. I mean, when you start using words like disgusted, 
it's really tough to go back to those same guys. Does it not feel like it's a, you know, uh, these guys go where I go for Rick Bonus? I don't think your theory is a bad one. I know at times this year, like, it was a hard year for him. He had COVID. He admitted that it really took a toll on him. I know that there have been some people who've kind of wondered, like, would he just say, you know what? It's just time for me. Yeah. He has grandkids now. Does he want to just say, you know what? I had my run. I'm going to enjoy my family. I know people have speculated that. At this point in time, I have no reason to believe that. He's got another year under contract. Like Rick Bonus was a guy who thought he'd never get a chance to be a head coach again. Yeah. And he got it. He badly wanted it. Like that's the one reason I'm saying I don't know that I see that happening. He badly wanted a second chance of being a head coach. He got it. I just don't know if it would be that easy for him or that's something he'd want to do is say, I'm going out now. But, you know, I will say people have wondered about it. I just don't have any intel that it's actually something that's on the radar. You know, the one thing that does happen, though, Jeff, is that like he's an old school guy, as we said. I bet you during a season he won't think about it. Like I think about Marv Levy. I remember I asked Marv Levy once about retiring, and he said, my position is if you've got a day where you've retired, you're already retired, and you're going to start cutting corners. And I can see Rick Bonus being the kind of guy, especially the way he reacted after game five. He's like, the idea of me thinking about retirement during a season, no chance. Who knows? We'll see where we go now. We'll see what he thinks about, what his family has to say. All I can say is that I know there have been times this year where people have wondered if, you know, maybe at the end of the year he says, that's it. But I have no intel that says that's true. Other side of the rink, the team that moves on, um, the Vegas Golden Knights. Mm-hmm. Really nice performance, uh, really good performance by Laurent Bossois. Chandler Stevenson, I thought, was excellent, even though Jack Eichel had a shaky first game in the playoffs. Uh, he got better as the series grew on. Listen, how many times can we talk about Mark Stone? He was great again in Game 5. Yep. Uh, the blue line was a little bit nicked up as well, but this is a team that looks good. Yeah, I know there are a couple of defensemen specifically that were out uh, in Shea Theodore and Braden McNabb, but at the same time, this is a really good, deep team that's going to be a handful for whomever they face next. It's something you said last podcast I, I think is very important is that they get the one short series, right? It's huge. It's huge. And I think you're so right. Like They're going to be more arrested than everybody else. And that's a big W for them. You know, Petrangelo, I thought, was one of the best players in the first round in any series. I thought the Golden Knights had a lot of players who had really good series at different times. Some of them were consistent. Others rose at certain points. Brassois beat a guy who I thought should win the Vesna. There's not a lot to dislike. And, you know, people can say the Jets were beaten up, which they were. But in the playoffs, you have to be ruthless. You can say, we don't care about excuses. We're ending your season. And the Golden Knights did that. And Braden McNabb is a guy who doesn't get a lot of attention. Yeah, I think he's a very important player for them. And the fact that they're going to get him, be able to give him a few extra days of rest, Yeah, I think that's huge. And we should mention that 
it doesn't snap his regular season streak. Oh, yeah. But Phil Castle <laughs> did not play a game for the first time since Halloween 2009. Yeah. And I had some people who texted me and they said, do you have a problem with that? And I said, no, I, I don't have a problem with that at all. You have to be ruthless with your decisions in the playoffs. Totally. It's all about winning. And if they don't think Castle's one of their 12 best forwards, it is perfectly within the Golden Knights' right to do that. Okay, so the Vegas Golden Knights will now play the winners of the Los Angeles Kings and the Edmonton Oilers series. Thursday as well, Elliot, we saw the return of Andre Vasilevsky. Now, technically, he's been in net for the entire series, but you know what I'm getting at. We saw the return of Andre Vasilevsky. Tampa Bay Lightning defeat the Toronto Maple Leafs by a final score of 4-2. to two. Alex Kalorn with the empty netter. Nick Paul, symbolically enough, with the uh, with the game-winning goal in this one. After a loose puck in the lead zone, put it in front, chance there, rebound, scores! The Lightning have a two-goal lead, and it's the Game 7 hero from a year ago, Nick Paul. Your thoughts on this game, uh, where Toronto Maple Leafs fans thought that the first-round drought was going to come to an end, only to see it extend to at least one more game. When Morgan Raleigh scored that first goal and just put it through Vasilevsky, I thought they were going to win. Even when Tampa Bay went down the, the ice right on the next shift and scored, I still thought Toronto was going to win. Like, like it turned out to be a, a huge goal in the game, obviously. But I thought Toronto took enough of Tampa Bay's counterpunches in the two games in Florida that I thought they were going to be okay. To Vasilevsky's credit, uh, he made some huge saves after the end of the first period that kept that game tied. When Marner had that breakaway and, and Vasilevsky made that save, you're like, nothing's getting by this guy. Boy, looking for some open ices. He grimaces on the bench. There's the best save for Vasilevsky, but just a smart play as Tavares with the bank pass right onto the tape in all alone and about three feet off as Marner, as soon as that puck went, he knew he was going to get the opportunity, made sure he was onside, but this one here, Vasilevsky, in good position and didn't flinch at all. You're waiting for the goaltender. It is true. Like, he looked dynamite because I really thought that first goal goes through him. It's not his night. He's done. Yep. But, you know, to me, and tell me if you disagree, but I really think, Jeff, that this series is about pace. And when Toronto forces the tempo at a quicker speed, yep. they are better. And when Tampa kind of slows the game down a bit and turns it into like 1970s football, hand it off to, <laughs> I, I used Earl Campbell last week, so hand it off to Chuck Foreman uh, this week and so you know, hopefully get 10 yards on three plays. <laughs> you know, when Tampa slows the game down, they're better off. Yeah. And Toronto has to force the Lightning to play at their pace more often. And that is when I think that they win because Tampa can't keep up to that. Mm -hmm. But I thought Tampa got most of this game at their pace. I mean, how many people, when Matthews made it three to two, they thought, here we go again. Toronto's going to tie it. But, you know, they couldn't get the last one. I Look, you and I both live in Toronto. I had buddies calling me on Thursday saying, Leafs are going to win 5-1 tonight. And I'm like, are you guys crazy? Like, I thought they could win, but to predict the blowout is insane. 
and nobody should be surprised we're going back to Tampa. But I, I think, Jeff, this is about pace. Yeah. The Maple Leafs have to force the Lightning to play fast or else Tampa has a shot. Uh, do you have a thought on the uh, the Patrick Maroon hit on Mark Shardano? I was of the group that I was a little surprised they didn't call the five to go to review mm-hmm. on this one. Right away, it was the, the two for roughing. How did you feel about it? As someone who sent me a DM, I think his name was Jay, and he made a good point. Like, if you look through the rule book, if they call it checking from behind, it's a major and there's no option for a minor. And if they called it roughing, there's no five-minute roughing penalty. Again, we're doing the car cast here and I'm driving home, so I don't really have a chance to check it. But I wondered if maybe by calling it what they did, like if they called it boarding, then we might have had options to have a couple of different conversations here. But I wonder if because they called it roughing, Hmm. they couldn't. And, And again, remember, I'm spitballing this at night. They couldn't call it five. Generally, I feel I said that, Jeff. Anytime it's something like that, you should be calling the five and using the review. You know, Maroon's a big man. He's people saying that Giordano dives. Giordano's not a diver. He's been in the league for, you know, for 15 years. He's not a diver. And you know what? Like, Pat Maroon hits me from behind. Even if there's no intent to kill somebody, I'm going to feel it. Like, what did you think? I looked at that, and you know what the first thing I thought of? What time of the period is it? Like, I, I, I liked what Bieksa said. I think that's salient in this. Like, the period is winding down. I know you play right to the buzzer, and you need to be aware right right until the buzzer, and I, and I get that. But there's like a couple of dead seconds left in the, in, in the period, and Patrick Maroon has a, I'm going to fill my boots run at Mark Giordano mm-hmm. and catches him with a bad hit. I mean, ultimately, you know, Mark Giordano returned to the game, but still, I don't know. That one didn't, considering the nature of the penalties that we've seen so far for similar hits, that one felt light for a two-minute rough. Like, I don't, I'm not going to lose my, my mind over it or, you know, really you know, go snap case on it, but it just felt like more than a two-minute minor for roughing to me. People out there are saying, like, Giordano was diving. Yeah, like, yeah, come yeah, on. Yeah, like, yeah. the guy's been, like I said, the guy's been in the league 15 years. He's not diving. Get that weak ass crap out of here. Okay, a couple of things more on this uh, on this Maple Leaf situation. Next game, do we see Bunting? Here's another one. Next game, do we see Liljegren? These are both great questions. I think you absolutely see Bunting. I wouldn't take Nyes out. I think Nyes has been really good. Yeah. I think we see Bunting probably. I would assume for Aston Reese, but yes, I think you give the team uh, the energy of putting Bunting back in. Lilligren, here's my thing. I thought if you were going to do Lilligren, it was after game one when they got murdered. You know, I have to say this. The people who run the Sportsnet Stats Twitter account, did they just decide tonight was going to be the night to drop a nuclear bomb on Twitter with that Justin Hall stat? With Justin Hall, yeah. Yeah, like about how many goals he's been on the ice for. But here, here's the thing. What do you feel about putting a guy in for game six of this series who by the time Saturday night rolls around isn't going to have played in two weeks at least? It speaks to an actually a, a bigger story that since, I don't know when, trade deadline, Elliot, Timothy Liljegren has had a hard time getting into this lineup. 
Jeff, I think that's going to be an end of year story. Like I get it, but I'm saying to your point, like it, this isn't just about this series right now with Timothy Lilligren. I think it's a bigger story for Timothy Lilligren. And I think your point is a good one too. Yes. Like you'd be putting a guy in cold. I just think that it winks at an even bigger story that we're looking at here with a first round pick. But Timothy Lilligren isn't going to do that now. If he's upset, he's not going to say that now. Mm-hmm. What he can say is he can be professional and say, of course, I, I want to be in the lineup because I want to play. But I think you ask a very fair question, and that's going to be, where are we with him at the end of the season? One other thing, Jeff, I just want to mention at the end of the game, I wish I would have phrased something a little bit differently that I said on air. Like there was a play at the end of the game where it looked like Nice was high-sticked. And all of the angles we had, I think we had three, didn't show it. It showed like the stick goes into his arm or under his arm or his armpit or his chest, but it doesn't conclusively show that the blade went up into his face. Like it might have gone around his neck or his throat, but it, it doesn't go to where he grabs it. And I said, if it doesn't get him, you know, that's not the reputation you want to get early in your career. You you don't want that. And that's exactly what I meant to say, but one guy called me and I got a very interesting phone call after the call. Someone texted me, former NCAA player. And he said, you have a sack? I said, absolutely. And he called me and he said, the thing you have to remember here is that Nye's up until two weeks ago, was wearing a cage. Hmm. And even if that stick doesn't get him, and he agreed with me that it didn't look like it went where Nyes was holding, he said, when you've spent a lot of time in a cage, as Nyes is, it really is disconcerting when you first go into the NHL. And he said that happened to him. Hmm. And he thinks that even if the blade didn't get him, the fact that it was near him or he could feel it or see it, or if maybe some ice came off the blade into his face, whatever happened, he said, you have to give him a break because of how disconcerting it is. Hmm. I said, okay, you know what? That's a fair point. I'll concede that. And then you know what he said to me? He said, the Leafs are going to win game six and Nyes is going to score the game-winning goal to break his Amelie Arena curse. <laughs> so there you go. Very good. You don't even have to watch on Saturday night. Very good. Uh, that's a great way to hype a hockey night in Canada on Saturday. Well done, Elliot. I'm, yeah. I'm sure our bosses yeah. will be thrilled about that. One more thing I want to ask you about this series, then I want to move on. What was your take on all of the uh, Derek Lalone should not be sharing state secrets controversy oh. that's uh, ripped through you know hockey social media the last 48, 72 hours? A few years. Uh, well, the tips are a big thing. You yeah. Know, uh, he, it's not, he has very few weaknesses. And one thing, actually, we did a study back in the day. He was uh, one of the lower percentage goalies in finding pucks from the points. We actually changed our entire oh, D zone yeah. and we improved our pass rush. But yeah, not him. This is just, I give a total credit to Toronto. This was a different field than their win yesterday. I have a lot of thoughts on this one. You know, number one is that, Jeff, I honestly believe that this would not be a controversy in any of the other major North American team sports. Mm -hmm. Like if this happened on an NFL broadcast or a Major League Baseball broadcast 
or certainly an NBA broadcast inside the NBA, it would not be a controversy. And you have heard me say before on this show, particularly when it comes to the inside the NBA, which I believe is the greatest studio show in, in the history of North American television, like the double standard between the stuff that gets said on shows like that one and the reaction to stuff that gets said sometimes on our show, I think it's ridiculous. And like, I really feel strongly that all of us in hockey, and I'm not talking about just fans. Like I know people are passionate right now. And if it wasn't for the passion of those fans, we wouldn't have jobs. But I think sometimes everybody in the sport, people who in the league, people who work for teams, sometimes fans, sometimes media members at each other, we need to lighten up and we need to have more of a sense of humor. If we want to make our broadcast better, we have to stop getting upset about things as much as we do. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't get upset about legitimate things. Like if someone's wrong about something and they go off crazy and they're wrong or God forbid a slur or anything like that. But something like this, the reaction in hockey is always greater than any other sport. And that's my opinion, but you won't get me to change it because I see it all the time. And that's what frustrated me about that is that was good TV. And instantly the reaction from a lot of people was, oh, no, this is bad. And I don't think the majority of the viewing audience thinks that. But because there is a segment of noise that gets created, I think it freaks out people. I think it freaks out executives. And I think now, and I don't want to speak for everybody. I'm, I'm just saying this for myself. And people in the business can tell me if they agree or disagree. I think there's more fear in hockey of standing out on your own than there ever has been. I see it in people I work with. I see it in myself. I've talked to other people about it. And I think it hurts the broadcast. And I think it affects those on the air, those behind the scenes, and those who make decisions about what happens when something occurs on the air. And I just wish we would all lighten up a little bit and save it for the stuff that really matters. And, and you know, I'll tell you, like, Jeff, another thing that really bothered me about it was other media members saying it was wrong. Hmm. And I'm not going to name anybody. And if they've got a problem, they can reach out to me. One of the things I hate most doing, and it really pains me when I do it, and I've really limited the amount of times I've done it. And I've done it, I think I've probably done it less than five times, is when like somebody reports something and I have to dispute it. I know what it's like to put yourself out there with a report. And I don't like to attack other people or embarrass other people. I really try to stay away from it. I did it once last year, and the guy who I did it to was really pissed off at me, and I don't blame him for it. But it was a big thing he put out there, and I, I felt I had to do it. But I felt sick about it. I just don't understand why media members would have an issue with that because all it does is – it empowers people to use us against each other. 
like Jeff, we're a caddy group. We fight with each other all the time. Like I get it, (laughs) but I don't like when we're used by other people to fight against each other. I don't know. I think we should be encouraging. I think there's a lot of good hockey media out there. Do you like narrative? Yeah, there's good narrative out there. Do you like analytic work? Yeah, I think there's good analytic work out there. Like, I think there's a lot of really good hockey work out there. And I'm not perfect, but I want to be as encouraging as I can. And I have to tell you, it it bothered me because for two weeks, Derek Lalonde's my teammate, and I didn't like seeing my teammate be put through that. And it just bothered me because I like, I think his work has been very creative. I think he's brought a new insight into our show. And I think he's been very good for our show. And I, and when he leaves, cause he's got to go to the worlds. I want more coaches and people to say, you know what? I'd like to do that. And I want the viewers to say, you know what? That was really good. And that was really different. And if that's, what's going to happen when he tries something different, then less people are going to do it. And I don't think that's good for us. I don't think it's good for the viewer. I don't think it's good for the NHL. That's why I think biz is really important. I think the stuff he does, he's moving a line. I really support it. I think Bieksa is moving a line. I really support it. Not everyone's going to be happy with this take, and I respect those opinions, but I just think there's less dumpster fires around broadcasts and other sports than there are in hockey. And I think part of it is because I just think we need to lighten up a bit when it comes about broadcasting. That's all. You can tell me what you think. I'm sorry for the rant. Actually, I'm not sorry for the rant. This is my podcast, (laughs) but I'm sorry for wasting about six minutes of your life. I'm not going to disagree with any of that. I think that's all well stated and well said. Let's hit a pause, come back and talk about the Rangers Devils. Listen to the 32 Thoughts podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view the best safe view and they all had to stay somewhere and many used airbnb i want to share something with you i was once told one of the wisest things you can do when you host an airbnb is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners many did this with the eclipse you can do this as well your home could be an airbnb seriously it doesn't have to be your whole place i mean it could be You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host. Okay, welcome back to the podcast. We're going to get to that New Jersey Devils-New York Rangers game here in a couple of seconds. In the meantime, Friday, very much looking forward to a number of games. Uh, Game 6 between the Bruins and the Panthers. Game 6 between the Carolina Hurricanes and the New York Islanders. And also, Game 6 between the Avalanche and Kraken. We'll get to them later. And the Minnesota Wild and the Dallas Stars. And last podcast, Elliot, you had some 
advice, I believe, for Peter DeBoer, head coach of the Dallas Stars. You know, like, I'm not as good a coach as Peter DeBoer, but, you know, I'm going to give him some advice. You know, I'm going to give him some advice, some advice, advice. You know, I'm going to give him some advice. Tell your guys to stop giving out breakaways. Like, you might just want to cut this out. Hey, Elliot, this is Pete DeBoer in Dallas. Really appreciate the coaching advice, but I think you should stay in your lane and stick to the media. Talk soon. (laughs) Did you guys actually ask him to do that now? Hamill did that, yeah. (laughs) He's right, but I'm a little bit embarrassed. Listen, I think you probably took your coaching advice to heart. I'm going to be counting breakaways on Friday that the uh, the Dallas Stars uh, allow. Let me just say this. I reiterate, Peter DeBoer has forgotten more about coaching than I will ever know. <laughs> but I still believe I am correct in my analysis mm. that they should stop giving out breakaways. <sighs> Razor blade insight there. Not a key <laughs> to success. Giving up breakaways. Ooh. Oh my God. More state secrets. And speaking of uh, the Dallas Stars, uh, you can see the piece that we recorded with Jake Ottinger when we were in Dallas not too long ago. That will both be on the broadcast and available at our Sportsnet YouTube channel. So watch for that on Friday. So you were drafted in the first round. They'd mm-hmm. already taken Haskinen. And that was a situation where Dallas traded up to get you. And the story that I was told was Philadelphia was waiting and you weren't going to get past Philadelphia. And that's why Dallas jumped and moved up and made the trade with the Blackhawks. Draft was in Chicago, as you know, made the trade with the Blackhawks. They moved down and Dallas got their goaltender. What do you remember from that first round? I just remember as the kind of the round was going later and the kind of the range that I was supposed to go in, I kind of, the nerves started to get higher and I honestly just wanted to get picked on the first day. I was really hoping to, I kind of expected to and was, would have been a huge letdown for my family and stuff if, I, if we had to come back on day two. But I mean, as soon as you hear your name called, it's, you kind of black out and especially to have it like a place like Dallas, I mean, such a great organization and, and city and the quality of life here is unbeatable. So. Um, I remember just being like, you know, all the talks about it, but from when it actually happens, it's yeah. it's pretty crazy. And then just to have the people that, you know, helped me get there to be there with me was made it extra special. Did you know it was going to be Dallas? I thought it was going to be Chicago, honestly, before they traded it. I had a great relationship with their uh, their minor league goalie coach, and uh, he and I kind of went back and forth. And I mean, he was saying, you know, I'm going to do everything I can to to have us pick you and. Um, but when Dallas traded up for me, I mean, it was felt like a perfect spot. Okay, Elliot, too fast all night long. The New Jersey Devils beat the New York Rangers. 4-0 is the final score. Eric Halla, and I know you love his nickname. Well, empty net. The Devils score! <laughs> Eric Halla with Chester get out. Hall of Famer. And it's 4-0. There you go. I was waiting for you. Left me hanging out there with a pair of goals. Uh, Andre Palat, who becomes the second Czech-born player to score 50 playoff goals. Jeremy Jagr, the mm. only other one. Empty netter, the final tally in the Devils game four. We oh. off the 
a face-off, a turnover, and the Devils score. And it's Andre Palat who fires one off of Shesterkin. It rolls over his shoulder. And it... 4 nothing is the final score. And as I mentioned off the top, the, the Devils' defense was really good. Uh, the goaltender, again, was really good. But to me, the story of this game was New Jersey just looked so freaking fast Elliot and yeah. the Rangers had no answers and much like we talked about last podcast with these two teams we're left saying what is going on with Mika Zibanejad and Artemi Panarin I think no one scored but these two really stand out now look Jeff you know I- I'm going to concede to this one uh, to you on this one more because obviously I'm watching the Toronto game more than I'm watching the Ranger game but every time I looked up the Rangers were on their heels they were, you know, they get that ridiculous fluke goal to start the game. The Devils do, and all of a sudden, the arena is going bananas, and you could see it. Like the moment that puck went in, basically that game was over. The Devils just said, "This is our night, and we're going." There was a really interesting moment in this one where uh, Igor Shosturkin, and he heard the Igor chants once again at uh, at the Prudential Center. Very nice. There was a really interesting moment in this one where he makes a save and then skated to the bench yes. to yell at his team to get going. Like, I know Gerard Gallant's the coach, but at that moment, Shosturkin's like, you know, screw it. Like, nothing's working here. I got to try myself. I'm doing... And Shosturkin was good. Like, and Shosturkin's been good this whole series. Yes. And he's trying to light a fire on under his team. Like, I'm always... Uh, part of me like feels really bad. You, know, you, you watch someone who's just battling as hard as Shosturkin is, trying to get everybody else up uh, to his level. But I, I know that you know we talked earlier about how disappointed Rick Bonus is uh, at his Winnipeg Jets. I got to figure as well, Elliot, that Gerard Gallant not exactly thrilled with his New York Rangers. Gallant really pulled his punches tonight. We got to be better, but again, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't uh, nothing. Nothing. I don't have to feel the same. Anything close to last game. So the effort's there. We've been in this position before. You know, last year twice in the first round, we're down three-two. So see what we can do. Go back home on Saturday and uh, rally the troops and get it going. And I saw some Ranger fans were upset about that. You can't do that twice in a row when you're trying to save your series. Yeah. Like he did what he did after game four. He called them out. You can't call them out again. When your team is fragile and the Rangers are fragile right now, this is where whether the fans like it or not, you have to pull out the velvet gloves. You can't do that again. And I completely understand why Gallant, the tough guy of all tough guys, didn't do it this time. This series changed in game three. They put Schmied in goal. He won the game, and the Devils started to say, hey, we can win with this guy. And you know what I think the other thing I thought was really big in game number four, Jeff? Hmm. Kevin Ball. Yeah. Kevin Ball. Big Kevin Ball. Well, you know, Kevin, I, I, I know you're humble. I know you don't want me to talk about it, but two big hits there. I'm not going to call you the wrecking ball yet, but Kevin is that uh, is that a, a bump up? You know you can. You had a good chance to score. You're handling the puck. Now do you feel like I could also throw some big checks when I have to? Yeah, of course, and that's a big part of my game. So I need to uh, obviously step that part up. So yeah. I try to keep that rolling. 
Yeah, and, and you, you accepted the challenge from Goodrow. I don't know if you've done much fighting in your career. What was it like down in the AHL? I know juniors, you're not going to drop the gloves, but do you have that a little bit in your arsenal, or it was just like, hey, I got to go? Oh, no, I, uh, you know, I can fight. I've, I've done it my whole career, juniors, AHL, so I'm happy to accept the challenge. Like, there's two things that fires up a crowd. The goal, like the first one that Palad scored, but also, like, especially a crowd like Jersey's, when they're playing for the Rangers, they're like, we're out for blood. When Kevin Ball is running over guys three times in a row or however much it was. Here's Meyer, though, pouncing on a loose puck for Ball. Oh, he throws a big shoulder hit on Barkley Goodrow. Goodrow came up on the young defenseman and Ball just banged him. Just stuck out of his butt, knocked him flying. Oh, oh another big hit. hit far side by ball. Hit check on Jimmy Beasy. The crowd loves it. That building is going bananas. Two of their favorite defensemen of all time are Ken Danico and Scott Stevens. This should surprise nobody. Yes. This should surprise nobody at all. It energizes your crowd. Now, yeah. like, now you're really going. And Ball had a couple of shifts there where I was like, well, this guy's making a difference. And good on him. You know, people forget he was part of the Taylor Hall deal. Yep. I remember when, when he was traded, there were some guys said to me, well, you can't teach size, but I don't know if this guy is a player. On Thursday night, I saw this guy making a difference in a huge playoff game. Yep. I think swagger matters, and that's why Jack Hughes is so important, aside from the fact that he's a great player. But they were losing this series and Hughes still had the swagger and now everybody on that team is caught up with them. If they had any doubt they could win after game two, it's over. And now they think they're going to win. And like that Ranger team, they are reeling. They are in trouble. And with that, let's rewind to the Wednesday night games. We got a couple of them here. We'll, we'll finish up the podcast on. The Florida Panthers and the Boston Bruins. Uh, we thought Boston game five was going to end this thing. They're going back home. They would just beaten the Florida Panthers twice in sunrise. And Anthony DeClaire scores the first goal on a really bad giveaway by Tyler Bertuzzi. Boards far side of the ice. Bertuzzi able to get their first turnover in front for Hagee on the doorstep. Ran out of room, throws it to the blue paint club net. They score Anthony DeClaire out in front. And the Panthers strike first. 11.34 to go in the first. It's 1-0. Anthony DeClaire crashing the net after the Bruins had turned it over in their own end. Brad Marchand ties it. And then it's a nip and tuck game all the way through. Goes to overtime, and and, uh, and Matthew Kachuk becomes the overtime hero. As Kachuk wins it, 6.05 into overtime. And the Panthers take it 4-3. Well, Linus Allmark hasn't had a whole lot to do. Shots are 47-25. He's out to handle the puck, and he's usually very good. But this one, he just feathers it instead of firing it. Another point for Verhage, I think, who's the man who intercepted in the corner. The Panthers are on cloud nine because they're going to head home and host a game Friday in sunrise. In the process, Carter Verhage with three assists, and he's been really good. Uh, But this was a game that was all about Sergei Bobrovsky. 
Uh, I know a lot of this series has been about Matthew Kachuk, and he was the overtime hero, and Paul Maurice spoke glowingly about how he had the patience to hold on to that overtime puck and not just try to jam it in, held on to the puck, found the shot, took it, and salted it away. But that was the Bobrovsky game that we've been waiting for, Elliot. Yes, it was. And I wasn't sure it was the right idea to start him. Boy, was I wrong about that. That save at the end of regulation, the the weird breakaway out of nowhere. Stalemate. Marshawn breaks it clear. 2-1. A save by Bobrovsky. Sudden death. Here we come. Wow. Wow, what an opportunity. Four seconds left. <laughs> I mean, just like an incredible save. People were saying, does Boston feel the pressure? I, I don't think Boston feels pressure at all. I just think they're too smart. They're too mature. They carried the game. They completely dominated. They've won twice in Florida. I mean, the one thing now is, can Bobrovsky give them another one like that? And he just hasn't been consistent enough. Because you know there's going to be another onslaught from the Bruins in in Game 6. But, you know, the, the one thing about the Panthers is, I thought they really battled. Like Montour coming back to play, Ekblad coming back. To, that was during the game. Yeah. Ekblad coming back to play, Duclair coming back to play. And... You know, they're going to have to do it again. I don't think the Bruins will panic. I just think it's up to Bobrovsky. He's got to do that again, and then we'll see what happens if there's a Game 7. Eyeball emoji on this one. The Seattle Kraken have the Colorado Avalanche on the brink of elimination, as we all predicted, Elliot Friedman. Uh, And this was an exciting game, man. Like, this whole series has been excellent. I know it hasn't gone the way that Colorado has wanted, but... You know, this has been fast. This has been quick. This has been sudden. It's really been a wonderful series. Uh, the Seattle Kraken win by a final score of 3-2. to two, And we haven't talked about him a lot. You and I talked about him Thursday on radio. Man, uh, a couple of words about Philip Grubauer here. We've talked a lot about great goaltending performances. You just mentioned Sergei Bobrovsky, um, Jake Ottinger, maybe the best goaltender in the playoffs right now. Man, Philip Grubauer has not gotten the uh, the uh, the accolades that he deserves in this series and probably in the season as well. Grubauer has been excellent for this team and was on full display on Wednesday night. There's no goalie in the playoffs who has elevated himself higher than the regular season than Grubauer has. Hmm. No one. Like he is at another level here, and that is what you need to do. I mean, look like. The, the one that got Colorado within a goal late in the third period on Wednesday night, it hit two people and it went in. Yeah. And that's the way they're beating him now. I mean, that Karche was just a fantastic story about 
how his parents got there just in time to see him score. Throws it in front. Kerching scores! Welcome to the National Ty Kerching! His first NHL goal in the Stanley Cup playoffs. 2-1 Seattle, 10-0-1 to play in the second. Oh, the youngster comes to play. Jordan Everly around the net, shields the puck, moves it all the way across. Beautiful, beautiful story. Everybody listening to this who's a parent, your sole dream is that your children reach their goals. And to get there in time to see that, it was fantastic. And it, just another part you know, of the crack and mystique. I had one GM text me after the game on Wednesday. He said, Seattle wins this good for the cap. <laughs> so I mean, I'm sure I'm, I'm sure there, I'm sure there's some people who are not as brazen about it who feel the same way, Yeah, but you know, Colorado is going to throw everything at them. Well, they threw everything at them at the end of the game. You saw the shift length for uh, McKinnon, Comfort, yeah. and Rantanen, 255 each. You know, and like, listen, Haxtell had Larson out there for 235 and Alexiak for 227. But they tried everything. Mm -hmm. And listen, man, give it to Seattle. And they're without Jared McCann. I know Colorado's without Cal McCarr uh, for the, the one-game suspension. Um, but, you know, you got to hand it to Seattle. I, I know that Colorado was skating wounded here. But the Seattle Kraken have the defending Stanley Cup champions, one of the best teams in the NHL on the brink of elimination. I think this is an outstanding story and an outstanding series. Elliot, the Valeria Nachushkin story as we're talking about the avalanche. Bennett Durando um, with a piece in the Denver Post about the Valeria Nachushkin situation. So uh, the Denver Post reporting there was a woman in Valeria Nachushkin's room um, extremely intoxicated last Saturday. Uh, she had to be taken to hospital. There is no criminal investigation into this. The Colorado Avalanche wouldn't confirm whether this incident was related to Nachushkin's absence from the team However, that's the latest reporting on the situation uh, as it unfolds with Valeri Nachushkin. Like, I don't like to guess on things like this. You know, the one thing I will say is people were warning, like, just be careful what you say about this prior to this story, because they said it wasn't a case that was really clear as to what exactly involved Nachushkin. So I think after reading that story, I think we all have a better idea on what that means. You know, I, I'm not going to argue about the validity of it or not. I just don't know. Mm -hmm. But like we've said, Jeff, I don't think anybody expects him to play anytime soon. And what that story at least does is give us some idea as to why. And you just hope everyone is okay. Ah, Elliot, yet another start to another week. Now, other than the 32 Thoughts podcast, there's eh, not much else really to look forward to. Jeff, you are forgetting about Montana's Daily Deals. Their chicken wings are double-dusted in-house, cooked to a golden crispy finish, and 
They're half price on Mondays. Uh, half price? Half price every Monday and sauced however you like them. Well then, head on down to Montana's Barbecue and Bar for half price wings every Monday. The only other thing exciting about Mondays. Some conditions apply. Visit montanas.ca for details. Okay, so Elliot, last podcast, we talked about the uh, Carolina Hurricanes and the Islanders. So we'll bracket that until the next podcast. And ditto for the Edmonton Oilers Los Angeles Kings series. And boy, is that a huge game uh, on Saturday. Those two teams going head-to-head. The late game on Hockey Night in Canada. Game six, the venue shifts to Crypto.com. The Edmonton Oilers looking to close out against the Los Angeles Kings. Couple of things just want to keep an eye on. Um, you know, Flames sounds like they might start to do some GM interviews maybe over the next week or so. I think they're going to get closer to doing some actual conversations here. But one of the names I'm kind of wondering about here is Mark Hunter uh, from the London Knights. Hmm. That's a name I could see potentially having a conversation with the organization. If not, I'm so careful about terms now, conversation, interview, like (laughs) you get caught on semantics so much. It's not worth the aggravation, but I I think he could be a name of interest. You know, another name I wanted to mention for you, we're talking about potential coaches for Anaheim. Yeah. You know who I kind of wonder about for that is a guy like Mark Savard. In Windsor. Yes. Hmm. And the reason I was thinking about that is Mark is a creative guy with young, skilled players. He was one, of course. I just wonder if someone like him would make any sense Hmm. for them just because of the young, skilled players they've got. And I think the environment he would try to create around them. I think there have been a, f- a few teams previously that had inquired about, or as we're all being sensitive about how we describe things, had conversations with, discussed around, talked to Mark Savard last season after the Windsor Spitfires had a, a wonderful run, specifically with Wyatt Johnson, who ended up on the Dallas Stars. And I think that there was at least some interest or conversations, or there was, put it this way, there was some there there between the Dallas Stars and, the, and, and Mark Savard. Mm-hmm. That doesn't surprise me that Anaheim is interested because I, I kind of have the feeling that Mark Servard is on a, on a few teams' radars. I don't know if I would go as far as saying Anaheim is interested yet because I, I honestly don't know what Verbeek is thinking there. But I had some people say to me that you want to take young players, especially good young offensive players, and make them better he was one of the guys that people suggested to me made sense for that kind of philosophy. They have a lot of highly skilled young forwards. That makes all the sense in the world, Elliot. All the sense in the world. Yes. Uh, okay, taking us out, Elliot is a singer-songwriter who's been around the Quebec hip-hop scene for a while. Before going solo, Greg Bodin was part of two groups and was known as Snail Kid. From his latest record, here's Greg Bodin with Big Boy on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Dis-moi pourquoi t'es toute seule ce soir, babe. J'aimerais ça qu'on se parle avec nos corps, babe. Même à juste parler, je fais de l'or. Regarde-moi dans les yeux que je puisse me voir, babe. Big Boy, je suis 
C'est un objet, je reste seul comme le phare Yeah, ils parlent, yeah, ils feintent Mais sont restés en arrière Sauf je garde la famille sous peut-être Debout devant le miroir, je comme moi ou là C'est qui ce gars là Tu que son mort hein? Big boy, je pense que la question se pose pas Je pourrais pull up Si t'es pas au lit Couleur sweet comme un skero Yeah, yeah, une tease comme il faut Feel the spleen, come be fiends, chasing dopamine But I dash it on the highway, can't speed Shit is bold, like the color of my post Put it jokes, put it cold shows Avant que ce soit over Remplis le compte, yeah, feel the bad But if it's time, I'll get your bag I'll give you the money to make it back I'll take the dreams and I'll make the facts